Hello and welcome to our very first podcast of Autumn Crone. I am Belle, I am your host and I'm so excited to be getting this up and going and I really look forward to connecting more with you. You can come on to our Facebook page, it's Belle, B-E-L-L-E and Dave on our Facebook page. So we'll be putting up when new podcasts come out so therefore you can come on and comment or have share your feedback share a bit of your story because sharing our story is really inspiring and beneficial to other women and even men really and um, let's get started so in this episode we're going to be touching on autumn crone what it's about which is perimenopause and there'll be there's going to be lots more to um in other episodes about perimenopause like symptoms and ways to help and what to look out for and all those things we're going to be discussing a bit about my intention with autumn crone going to go into about me if you're anything like me when i find somebody new that i'm like oh who is this person i like to know all about them so i'm going to be sharing who i am my education my experience and where i'm at in my journey especially with my autumn crone and perimenopause journey and why i am so passionate about this topic this has just really once i became aware that i am perimenopausal it made so much sense to me and my husband dave and it's been life-changing and i'm also aware that it seems to be a bit of a taboo subject so i'm here to blow it out of the closet and shine a lot of light on it so autumn crone is a between world it's between the mother the mother and the crone so it's about the triple goddess the maiden mother and crone so we go into our maidenhood when we get our first menstrual bleed so that can vary in age groups but it's when we hit our maidenhood is when we get our first bleed Then we go into our mother. So this can vary from woman to woman because not all women go on to have a child. So just because if you don't have a child doesn't mean you'd go through the mothering phase. So the mothering phase can be, you know, taking care of other people. It's more about the giving and taking care of others, nurturing. So whether it's, you know, nurturing children or nurturing other people's children or nurturing your career or nurturing fur babies or nurturing a partner or family or whatever that phase looks like to you it definitely isn't just oh well you only hit the mother phase if you have a baby so it's not that now then we head into the crone phase now this can vary and I've asked a lot of women what this means to them for me it is about and from my studies of the triple goddess over the last 20 years is about when you stop bleeding so you hit menopause and we're going to go through a bit of a definition of perimenopause to menopause but it's also some women have said it's they don't feel like that when they're you know in past menopause some women have said it's when they become grand uh, grandparents Um, some people have said when they've hit menopause so this can vary so quickly on the definition menopause is actually just one day of your whole life menopause is when you it's when you haven't had a pit by the medical definition it is when you haven't had a period for 12 months so it's that one day anniversary and then you get postmenopause after that but before that is perimenopause so it's before menopause now the thing is with perimenopause is for some women can breathe through it some women have a really challenging time and that's what I'm here to really bring out to the closet and talk about because from my experience a lot of women suffer from it and I am one of those women and um, the thing is with perimenopause it can go from some women just breathe through it and it can be maybe 12 months some women it can this phase can go on for 10 plus years now we'll be going into um, the next few podcasts about what is perimenopause symptoms of perimenopause and all that kind of stuff so to bring in more clarity but you know like I said come on to our Facebook page Belle and Dave and you know come find these posts where these podcasts are posted and come ask questions you know, if there's something I've discussed and you're like, hey, you mentioned about this, I'd love to know more about this. Or, um, hey, I, 
you mentioned this, but I wasn't quite sure. You know, can you clarify it for me? Because that's what I want to do. You know, this is what this is all about: bringing it out of that taboo subject and bringing it into the light and having everyone discuss it, including men. You know, if we want our men to be supportive and all that sort of stuff, well, we need to get knowledgeable and become really super aware of this and talk about it and have the huge shifts that you know that need to happen with this because every woman goes through it. I can't believe. It's such a taboo subject when it's something every woman goes through. But anyway, back on track. So this phase is known as perimenopause, a time of embracing and embodying our divine energy and as well as our physical body. It's a time of letting go of what no longer serves, transforming, self-accepting, embodying our own magic and mystery, connecting with the magic of our womb space, moving into a place or phase of uh, the process of death and rebirth becoming the new you my work is to help support women through this phase of perimenopause which i call autumn chrome and bring and bring this taboo subject out of the closet and have it talking on everyone's lips when i just want to go back and mention about the death and rebirth so this is really interesting is you know when as young girls and we go through puberty you know puberty we just don't wake up one day and have breasts and hips and our bodies develop you know we've got hairy legs and hair under our pits and you know um and our period just rocks up you know there's a process right it, it can happen quickly for some girls and but then for some girls it can take a couple of years you know the hormones start kicking in and then they sort of stop and you know there's this it's a bit of a journey, right? So that is our first change in life, right? So we go into our fertile phase. And so when we come to perimenopause, our autumn crone phase, it's our second change, our second season. It's where, you know, the ovaries' um, eggs are running out. So therefore the hormones start switching off. You know, And again, this can be a long process for some and a short for some. Every woman's autumn crone journey is unique. So what I mean by the death and rebirth process, it is, it's about letting go that mother aspect of you in the way your body's changing. It doesn't mean you stop being a mother, that doesn't happen, but it's a change and letting go of the old part of you and it's like letting go of your old little girl you and stepping into the teenage you, stepping into your maiden energy. So here we're, you know, the death of that mother phase and really stepping into the rebirth of the new you as a crone. So about me, my name is Belle, I am married to Dave, an amazing, amazing man. I am super blessed to have such an amazing, loving understanding husband and I know unfortunately that it's not for everyone don't get such a supportive partner and so by you know part of this journey of bringing this taboo subject into the light is being able to, for us women to become super aware of our bodies and embrace our change because when we can do that we can share this with our partners and our loved ones so they too can become aware and join in on the journey you know, we can't really expect our partners to be super supportive and understanding if we've got no idea what's going on. So Dave and I have one daughter together. Um, she's just started school this year, so it's super exciting. It's a big change for me. But we also have um, five other children from our previous marriage. So we are a blended family. You know, two of our kids live with their mother, um, who one is an adult now, and three of our children we have 50 50 care with the other parent and all that sort of stuff so we have you know it's it works it has its challenges at times but um we wouldn't change it for the world and you know that's what works for us and you know very blessed that we have each other and we're doing this life together um, we live in brisbane uh, in australia so um yes and so some of my qualifications, just to give you a bit of a background of who the hell am I and who am I to be talking about this and that. So I completed my year 12 and straight after my year 12, I went in and did childcare studies. I did community service centre-based childcare. I think the qualification is called, it's been a long time. And so I worked in childcare for a few years. I also then went on to study nursing um, the qualifications changed now. It was a certificate in health and now it's a diploma because then I went and did medications. There was a big change in um, the structure 
of what we were able to do as nurses and all that sort of stuff. So once they added the medications module in, which was quite huge, I think it was like a big six-month full-time study, they've added that on top of the course and called it a diploma now, I think. So I did that as a traineeship. I was trained in aged care, so I worked in an aged care facility. Actually, I'm from Melbourne originally, so I was in Melbourne I did this. And I worked in the dementia unit in an Italian nursing home, actually. So I got to learn a bit of Italian as well there, so that was really cool. And I also did, like, some agency work, so working in just hospitals here and there, other aged care facilities and some rehabs as well. So, But when I moved to sunny Queensland... I then worked in one of the major hospitals in Brisbane and I did a lot of, uh, what was it, rehab as well in that facility because I had that as well there. So I did that up until I had my first baby and um, yeah, and then, you know, it got a little bit with nursing that after she was born and then I, after she was born, eight months later, I fell pregnant with my son. And so going back to work was quite juggling. And I was then, when he was a bit older, I was looking at doing the odd shift here and there or maybe one shift a week. And to keep my nursing registration, it looked like I had to do more work keeping it than actually what I was working. So, And at that stage, I left my first marriage. I became a single mum. And I ended up stopping nursing and I went on to study Western Herbal Medicine. Western herbal medicine was something, even in my early 20s, I tried to study distant ed, but I just, I don't know, it just didn't work for me then. You know, it was, I really like the hands-on stuff. I've gotten better now with online learning and, you know, in the last 20 years, online learning has exploded, you know, especially with the recent events in the world. It's so much more accessible and easy to do now. So I did my Western herbal medicine. I just can't even fully explain why I was drawn to herbal medicine I just loved it I was drawn to it also in my early 20s I got into paganism so you know there was lots about herbalism especially in the magical sense and so I wanted to move into the medicinal uses and really connect with mother earth and along my studies of becoming an herbalist I decided to extend my studies a bit longer and become a naturopath as well. So the naturopath allowed me to look at a, look at my clients a, a lot more holistically and really bring in all that was added in actually was more the nutritional value, you know, supporting clients on their with their nutrition because you know, there's just not one thing that fixes everything or I mean fixes is not the right word, but you know, helps support people. So, and I really like to be able to offer that holistic um, approach and support. And so I studied a bit longer. I did it in three and a half years. I studied full time. I did summer, summer school and everything. I went really hard at it. Um, probably could have done with a few summer breaks and sort of taken my time. But, uh, you know, these, these are the things we look back in hindsight. So I became a naturopath and herbalist. Unfortunately, at the end of my studies, I, um, not unfortunately, I was pregnant with my third child. Um, but sadly, at the end of my studies, you know, I was all excited. I finally made it and did it. My son was still born at um, 27 weeks. So that um, really rocked me to my core. It really, the best way I can describe it is describe it is that it shattered my world but it shattered it into so many pieces that it was never it couldn't be put back together it it was never life was never going to be the same and it's not and so I hit rock bottom like I, I really did like I even contemplated taking my own life and that what stopped me was my two children and also two from when I was 17 my mum committed suicide so I remember in those the darkest moments was and I just heard this voice if you do this you are repeating cycles your children will go through what you went through with your mum and that was enough to snap me out of it and go right if I'm going to stay I'm going to live my life fully and be a good role model for my children so out of that big back black darkest hole um 
I started to put my life back together. I also was struggling mentally, like even just having conversations. I couldn't put string. I was having trouble stringing a full sentence together. I still have trouble there now, but it's that's more the perimenopause. But back then I was just going oh my gosh and also being dementia trained in nursing I'm like if you don't use it you'll lose it and I'm like no I'm too young I was 35 when my son died and um, so I decided that I would go and study so I studied to become a life coach and it was brilliant it was it was something that got me up in the mornings as well as my children it was more like planning for the future it got my brain thinking plus I'd been looking into coaching uh I think about in my late 20s I had looked at it but with two little kids and all that sort of stuff it wasn't really doable and so this was an opportunity to sort of you know move forward and and look to be really honest and I've experienced a lot of death in my life personally and professionally um, but the death of a child is, there's no words, there really isn't. And it's not that my grief gets smaller, it's just that my life's expanded more to be able to live with it, I think is a way of putting it at this point in time. You know, it's still, not sure all the words and, you know, I do try, but it's 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 a journey, it sure is. So, and... After Isaac, my son, died, I hit rock bottom and I started to crawl out. I started studying again and, you know, just trying to move forward as best as I could. And that's where Dave and I got together. We'd been friends for a long time and, but, you know, very lucky that, you know, things blossomed from our amazing friendship and into this beautiful marriage that we have now. So it was quite amazing that my life went from the worst rock bottom to the best it have had ever been and even though we had a few children before us we had five children between us at that stage um we still went on to have a baby together and she is now five and it's amazing like it's I will say that was a very hard pregnancy like mentally and emotionally it was extremely hard she was born at 35 weeks due to low movement and it was um, elective emergency cesarean. We fought the hospital to have her out and it was a fight. But you know what? She came home three days later and she is very healthy and amazing. So, so blessed that to be able to still have another child. But it also definitely was our last child. I definitely going through that pregnancy and her birth and I elected for the cesarean um, all my other babies had been natural um, that was due to some complications with some of my births and especially after Isaac died and um, yeah I wouldn't change it but I, it definitely gave me that sense of I don't want any more children I'm done and I'm very grateful for that feeling now it's something I'd always had another yearning for another baby always had up until um, Kira was born so from there from the cesarean so up until prior to having my c-section um, my periods I got them at 12 and a half they were generally five day bleeds they were pretty light like first second night I'd wear a pad third night after that no pad you know like yes I'd get cramps and you know might need a Panadol a bit of a hot water bottle but it really didn't stop me living my life you know I'm pretty sure when I reflect back there was some PMS stuff going on there you know it's my moods and all that kind of stuff um but yeah it wasn't really I've looked to be honest I really felt like I didn't have anything <clears throat> to complain about um, especially when I've heard a lot of other women's stories because back in my early, oh no, late 20s, I actually started um, women's circles and also red tents where we got together and we connected with our womb space and connected with our periods and all that kind of magical stuff. So, you know, it wasn't really, yeah, I guess now looking at after post-cesarean, things really went, changed dramatically. Um, 
my periods became heavy, like really heavy and painful and just kind of all over the shop. And so as time went on and I had the belief, you know, and I tried some natural things and it didn't work. My diet definitely wasn't the best at all. And so, you know, it's over the last sort of five years, my period slowly got worse, like really bad, heavy bleeding, like, and when I talk about bleeding, like I'd sit on the toilet for hours, I, anxiety would, my anxiety around my period skyrocketed because I was too scared to go out, even going to pick up the kids from school, even if I didn't have to get out and just flooding and so much blood and the pain and it, it really went from one extreme to the other and you know I remember would have been back in 2019 we're now what February 22 I actually had a um a dear friend mention perimenopause to me and I'm like okay I'll go when I see my doctor next I'll chat to her about it and so she did a blood test and I really didn't know anything about perimenopause like I do now and she came back and said, no, it's not perimenopause. And plus I had heaps of other tests to see what was going wrong because I was in pain. My body always ached and, you know, I had the brain fog. I was just, had my tummy had lots of gut issues, you know, and so she put it down to fibromyalgia. So I lived with that for a while. And then, of course, we had COVID here. And so that kind of didn't that kind of didn't allow me to go any further with it I sort of just you know everyone sort of stayed more at home and you know just didn't go back to look into it you know I had tried some of the synthetic medications it didn't work I've learned synthetic medications don't always agree with me it's not my best step forward it seems my body doesn't like that kind of stuff and so come to the end of 2020 I went started seeing another doctor and she did a whole like heaps of tests I've had so many tests and examinations and blood tests and so many I've lost count and so we decided to go see another doctor and that has been really good it was a great decision Um, the other doctor was great and helped me through a lot of stuff but it was time to move wasn't moving forward with moving forward in my house so we went to another doctor and so I'd mentioned about my periods and that and she's like right let's get this looked into at the time I had so many blood tests that on her prescription that I when I went to the pathologist they were even like oh hang on a minute I just need to get somebody else because it was the most testing stuff they needed to do in one sitting it was a most it was a record for them there was like 30 odd and um, all that came back from that was uh my thyroid which I know I've known that since I was about 24 that I became aware of that I had my first miscarriage at 24 so from that I became aware that I had an underactive thyroid but also to my iron was dangerously low so that led to I had to have my heart checked at the same time because I was having a lot of heart issues palpitations out of breath you know the palpitations causing chest pain and all that sort of stuff so I had my heart checked which thankfully came back all clear And then I had an iron transfusion and I did feel better once that kicked in, but it didn't really clear up all my symptoms at all. So then started the process of um, going to the hospital and seeing gynecologists to get this, my womb stuff all looked into. And I just knew I needed a hysterectomy. I can't fully explain it. It's just that intuitive gift you know intuition isn't a gift we all have it but intuitive abilities and I just knew I needed it but when I went to my first gynecologist appointments because I've seen four over that duration um the first one was wasn't quite the pleasant one she tried to push the pill onto me which I've tried many different types like so many types over my years and it actually makes me suicidal so I refuse to have hormonal pills or tablets or anything like that because the hormones just don't agree with my body but she was still quite persistent in it she's they took her three or four times of asking until I sort of snapped and I even said you know suicide runs in my family like my mum nana and my mum have committed suicide and so I was like no 
you know, you've really got to stand up for yourself. If something doesn't feel right, it doesn't matter who the other person is or medical profession, at the end of the day, you know your body better than anyone and don't let yourself be bullied. And that's what it was. It was bullying. Like, I was quite shocked and I did end up bringing it back to her superior later on because there was a few more gynecologists I saw. So from that, I had a ablation. I was booked in for an ablation and a laparoscopy. So the laparoscopy was to query if I had endometriosis. So that's where they put a camera in your tummy and to have a look around. And the ablation is, it's a womb ablation, is where they burn, cauterize or burn the inside of your womb. Like you have a DC, like a curette and all that sort of stuff first. And they burn it all and that's to stop the bleeding. So I had that in June 2021 because um, I wouldn't do a hysterectomy straight up. It was through the public system. And for the first couple of weeks, once I recovered, I felt amazing. I felt great. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this actually worked. Oh, maybe it was lucky I didn't have a hysterectomy, you know, because this is, it was a day procedure. You know, I was felt really good and people were noticing. I felt like I felt the best I had in years. Like it was amazing. Like oh, I can still feel it now. It was just like, oh feel like I'm alive and I'm human again however not so long after my periods kicked in my first period after that was effing hell it was the most painful thing on day four I was like contemplating going to the hospital for my period it was that painful and wow so much blood but anyway from the ablation the hospital didn't give me my four week follow-up like they're supposed to um, so I think I ended up getting one four months later I got a phone consult because with COVID we you know, a lot of things moved to phone calls, which was great. Um, actually, before that too, with everything that was happening as well, they I ended up having to have a colonoscopy and endoscopy. So one down the camera, uh, down the throat, and one up the bum, because stomach cancer and bowel cancer are pretty rampant in my family. Like there's been nearly every generation, it's you know taken the life of a family. So um, I had that as well. That all came back clear, thankfully. Um, so I'd had that earlier on in 21 and then now I had the ablation, but, um, so yeah, I never got my four week follow-up. I had another gynecologist call me at my four month follow-up and I said, Hey, I didn't get a follow-up and sort of got ignored and discussed what's going on and things have worked, got worse. The ablation, like I know I heard so many stories how, you know, women, it was just amazing. My experience is that it made everything dramatically worse, like the the pain, I was still bleeding. I started spotting, which I'd never done. Um, intercourse got really painful, like even more painful than usual, which led to spotting afterwards. It didn't matter how gentle. It just was, it was crazy. And I'd said that, you know, I sort of made a bit of a snidey remark about hysterectomies, you know, public system not giving them out, blah, blah, blah. And she said, oh, no, we can do one. I'll just... And then what she did, she said, I'll speak to my superior and I'll give you a call back, which she did pretty quickly, actually. I think within 10 minutes, she called me back, said, yep, we'll book you in for a hysterectomy. Um, someone will call you. And then, of course, time went by and I didn't hear anything. So I sent a letter off to the hospital saying, negligent, it's interesting when you use big words, is this negligent? I didn't get a follow-up. And, you know, actually, this has made things worse. It actually hasn't. They just assumed things were better. And look, I had been missed somehow. My four-week appointment had been missed. So from there, I got another appointment with a head gynecologist. So this is my third gynecologist appointment. So the head of um, all the other ones I'd seen. So Dave and I went to that appointment and that was an hour long and she went through stuff and look, who knows, bad day or whatever it was for her, but it was very cold. You know, I kept getting, and this is the frustrating thing over all these years, everything, everything kept coming back. No, everything's all good. Everything's all good. So mentally you're starting to feel crazy i'd even you know ask other doctors as well about fibro i don't know that doesn't exist fibro isn't a thing you can't test for it so therefore it doesn't exist so you know by this stage you've had a fair few knocks and you know oh no everything looks good and you know like i said today i feel crazy like how can how can this be all good i'm not crazy this is this is debilitating i've spent more time in bed over the last couple of years I, you know i can't attend to my family I can't do anything you know I'm cranky as because when the pain takes over some you know sometimes we can be distracted by our pain but there's some days it just consumes me like it's 
I'm, I'm just in this swirly pool of pain and you know and the doctors are reluctant to give out painkillers because you know you might get addicted to it and all that and it's like so I'm supposed to live like this and you know it you know so even seeing this head doctor there was nothing mentioned about anything and it was like yeah we'll book you in for hysterectomy but I was told that our borders were opening up and they're expecting high rise in numbers of cases of COVID case, cases so therefore your surgery yes you're a category two but you could we don't know when your surgery is going to be normally for a cat two you it's about three months so this was about November 21 and um so we were just fingers crossed that you know everything would go right but the numbers skyrocketed and um for some reason, they class it as elective surgery, and and it blows my why my mind because this is an elective. Yes, I'm wanting a hysterectomy, but it's not elective like say oh, I want a nose job to change my nose or enhance my breasts or a tummy tuck because I want to look thinner or anything like that. This was kind of, you know, my iron levels were going down. My life is completely debilitated. It's really affecting my mental and emotional health like really badly. I'm what's that, 41 at the time, I'm 41. So, you know, this is not how I'm meant to be living my life. You know, I've got young kids, I've got an amazing husband. We're about meant to be out there, you know, enjoying life, you know. So it was, because it's cat two and apparently elective, it was put off. Um, so, and still no answers. I was still told that, you know, from the laparoscopy, so the camera inside, they couldn't see anything wrong. Everything would look good. Um, so thankfully due to COVID and the backlog of, um, category two surgeries and other surgeries, I've now became, become a public patient in a private sector. I went to a private doctor last week and I'm booked in, in five days time for a hysterectomy, but this doctor actually, um, wow amazing like he I wasn't going to even mention perimenopause because I was just like you know what I've and I've heard a lot of other women's stories read a lot of other women's stories and I, after my own experiences I'm like oh, I don't want another doctor just telling me it's in my head I'm too young you know because the average age they say for menopause is 51 right and remembering average is taken in the middle right but at the same time it doesn't take into account perimenopause so I was just like so over it and so I sat there with this doctor and he's like what's going on and you know gave him my whole story and he's like right so what it sounds like is you have I'm not sure if I'm going to say this right endomyosis it's kind of like endometriosis but it's not because endometriosis is where the womb lining grows outside of the uterus <clears throat> extremely painful and debilitating for a lot of women in so many ways so, but endomyosis is where the endomy, and the womb lining, the inside of the womb lining where we bleed, actually is grown inside the womb muscle, right? So it's escape, and you know it can be from C sections. It can be just some women have it from when they first get their periods. It, they're not really sure. They don't really know a lot of it about it, um, but it can also be from having children. And so he goes, this is what happens. It grows. It causes a lot of pain. He goes, from my experience and hearing what you're hearing and hearing so many of my other patients, this is what it sounds like. He goes, we could do ultrasounds. We can do MRIs. Um, but not for every woman it shows up. Some women, it will show up in these tests and scans and all that kind of stuff. But there's a lot of women it doesn't. The only way we can tell is when we take your uterus out and we send it to pathology and they have a really close look under a microscope, then we can see it. So the big major treatment for endomyosis is a hysterectomy. So, and I definitely don't don't want any more children. I had my tubes actually taken out when I had my C-section as a contraceptive preventative, and I have no regrets. Um, and then even as I was talking to him and explaining things, it's quite interesting. He sort of looked at me, turned his head, and I had this feeling straight away. I knew he was going to start talking about perimenopause. It's just one of those, in, my intuition just went, mm-hmm. And I sort of looked at him back and he goes, do you get night sweats? And I said, oh, yeah. And I get um, hot flushes and I get mood swings and 
and all the other stuff I rambled off of my symptoms and he goes and I'm like yeah and he goes it's perimenopause I'm like thank you you know I've been to so many doctors I've seen he's my fourth gynecologist I've seen I've been to the emergency department multiple times and this is a f- over five years and this is the first first medical profession that has gone hey this is what you got he even started talking about HRT which at this stage isn't for me I'm not going to say it's never but my experiences with hormones and all that sort of stuff it's not something I want to do and you know if it's right for you you've got to honor what's right for you because every woman's journey is unique so yeah and I'm booked in in five days time five more sleeps to have a hysterectomy and he went through all of that so but I walked away and I said to Dave I'm not crazy even though I'm, no, I'm not but it was just nice to actually have a doctor you could tell he really listened and got it and just instantly put together my symptoms and what I was presenting and um, he said you've got a double whammy going on you know the angiomyosis as well as the perimenopause he's like wow that's that's pretty um that's really full on so and it's interesting because over the years Dave and I kept saying before I realized I had perimenopause and thought it was fibromyalgia we kept saying my periods just seem to exacerbate everything like some months I'd feel okay after my period a lot of it it was just this vicious cycle you know once ovulation kicked in it was painful um, especially off my right ovary and then you know then I'd be knocked into bed with the pain and then it would knock me about so much that I was just tired exhausted and by the time I started to feel better it might be a day or two and then I started ovulating again you know I was lucky to get one or two days some months of feeling good and being able to kind of feel partly human but a lot of the times it just kept going and going and going we're like I don't know Dave and I just felt like my periods were a real contributing factor to what we thought was fibromyalgia so how did I get on to to perimenopause so spending another day in bed and you know just um surfing YouTube as you do you know and um I love to learn so I'm always looking for stuff and I was looking up fibromyalgia about something I can't exactly say what um, but you know there's a lot of research I've done over the years and you know listen to other women's stories and all that like I love you know I love researching I guess the medical side the scientific side but I feel there's um for me personally there's a lot to be said about women's stories you know studies whenever I look at studies I always want to know who paid for them because that gives you an indication of how they approach and what they're looking for for out particular outcomes to support whatever their intention and interests are but women's stories are women's stories and I feel like that's where the magic is and there's a lot more truth and honesty in that so as I was searching through YouTube I came through there was a doctor there talking about I can't even fully remember. It was fibromyalgia, kind of, kind of like fibromyalgia being mistaken for perimenopause. I'm like, oh, what's this? Anyway, I listened to this video and I was just something just clicked in with me. It was like a, I should say, a big wide door just flew open and down. And what a, an amazing rabbit hole it's been. So in this video, it discussed, um, and not discarding fibromyalgia at all. Like, absolutely not. I think there exist I think technology doesn't have hasn't advanced enough to really help people with fibromyalgia in the way they're understanding and treatments and all that sort of stuff however for me the perimenopause I looked at it and and I was like holy crap so then I started going into perimenopause there's information out there there isn't a abundant load of it um and you know even when Dave came home I'm like check this out and even he started researching he goes this sounds more like you than fibromyalgia like and everything I tried naturally and even medically like the drugs or synthetic drugs from the doctors with um, fibromyalgia nothing really worked nothing gave me that aha you know actually to backtrack a bit too in the start of 2001 I finally decided to (laughs) as a last resort go I need to look at my diet so it's something I really resisted 
all my life up until I was, you know, so it was till I was 40. So a lot of years resisting the great old Western diet. And we decided, because Dave was very supportive and came on this journey with me, I decided to go vegan, which meant giving up coffee and chocolate. Um, now we're more vegetarian because um, I still like coffee and the odd chocolate. But um, I noticed there's a bit of emotional eating with all the, when I crash and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, it's a working progress. So last year we just went on a huge vegan diet and we soon learnt that being vegan and wanting to be healthy, buying vegan food from the shop wasn't really in the best interest. It had a lot of gluten in it, which I have a sensitivity to. So we... I started to go, if I wanted to make this work, I needed to start cooking from scratch. And up until last year, I hated cooking. Like, it's just, was never my thing. I didn't feel good at it. I didn't like it. It was a chore and one I resented. But what a difference. Oh, I've done such a big 180 on this. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, who am I? Like, what has happened? But I started cooking from scratch. And yep, to really help my sweet tooth, I had looked at more cooking sweet stuff and just you know really learning to cook in a different way and from that I think I shifted about 18 kilos not even exercising day shifted weight and that's just a side effect so we don't like to call it diet we call it aligned eating aligned eating is about eating in a way that is right for you because at the end of the day health, eating healthy like and we have a huge list of healthy foods, but not all those healthy foods are e- healthy for everyone. There is no one diet fits all, um, you know. And some of those healthy foods are quite toxic for some people. You know, it has a detrimental effect to their health. So you can't say, "Oh, let's eat healthy," because, well, what is that? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? Because it's different for everyone. So, aligned eating is about getting in touch with what. And listening to your body and what feels right with you. And really our body communicates to us all the time. So it's really about tapping into that and really taking notice and go, okay, you know, and trialing things and seeing what does feel good for you, you know. And eating vegan, one thing I've learned, there is like food can be so delicious. The things that we've made and created and, you know, being creative with it and, you know, it's led to remodeling the kitchen um, a lot of times and we're still going through another process of reorganizing it so it works better for us and it's also led into you know it's starting to grow our own um, vegetables and herbs as well so that really um, has made a huge impact and I'm really looking forward to after my hysterectomy and recovery and to be getting more into that because it really has made a difference and really looking at foods that um, really support the body through perimenopause and we'll talk more about that in other podcasts for sure so yes yeah, so we've tried lots of many things and yeah so I walked away from this doctor feeling I'm, I'm in a place of such gratitude for this hysterectomy the doctor that we've been guided to um, I just have a sense that everything's going to work out everything's going to be good uh, doesn't mean that you know the hysterectomy is going to solve everything I, I definitely don't have that illusion uh, because, you know, I'm not sure how my ovaries, because my ovaries are staying at this point in time. So, you know, our ovaries, what leads to perimenopause is we're born with X amount of eggs. And as we get near the end of our eggs in our ovaries, that's where we start getting a change in our hormones. Although perimenopause is only diagnosed by symptoms, there is no test at this stage. So you can, and the thing is you can have your hormones tested and depending on where you are in your cycle, you're going to get different results. Because your hormones do fluctuate. Like estrogen is really high around ovulation, but during your period it drops, you know, and then you've got your progesterone and all that kind of other stuff happening. So, you know, there is no blood test for it. You can have a test after menopause, um, once menopause is hit, or you get it in plus perimenopause has different stages too. So the closer you get, the more you're gonna notice the hormones that aren't in your system as much. But I really want to talk about that in other another podcast about the hormones part because it's I find it quite interesting and you know what it may be boring but I do honestly feel that you know becoming aware of your temple your body and what happens within it can help give you clarity and understanding and some love and compassion for yourself and what's happening within 
as well. So, so where I'm at at my journey is, you know, I'm five days out from having a hysterectomy and I'm due for my period at the same time with my hysterectomy. So, you know, and at the minute, um, I'm not feeling the best. My stomach is, it just feels heavy. It's achy. It's sore. I have this backache that I've had. Interestingly enough, I've had this backache for about five years since after having having Kira and I did see an amazing chiropractor and she worked on me for months and the pain did ease you know we went and bought an expensive mattress and everything uh, which it kind of helped but it never went away and she said there's nothing structurally wrong with you and so you know and it's not until seeing this doctor last week so five years later where you know part of endometriosis is backache so I have this chronic backache and um you know so it'll be interesting to see what happens and i really want to share more of my story because you know it's taken me five years to find a doctor that got it that listened and so you know i want to say don't give up keep going and listen to your body because a couple of months ago i really became aware that hey i'm perimenopausal yes i may be young um i feel there's some looking back at my mum um I think that's some stuff that was going on with her but that's a story for another day as perimenopause it seems like women in my family go through it young younger than you know what society claims as normal um you know look because some women go through perimenopause in their teenage years so it's not one size fits all that you know you when you're 51 you stop your period and you're menopause you know, because there's some women in their late 50s that are still having normal, regular cycles, you know. So it's it's all unique. Everyone is, every woman is unique in their journey. So, um, you know, just really, so when I found out a couple of months ago about this video, it's just opened this amazing door for me and given me lots of clarity and understanding for where I'm at and with my body that, you know, and then actually having a gynecologist confirm it, it was like, see, by listening to my body and rather than listening to all those doctors, listening to the emergency department, listening to three other gynecologists, right, I just went, no, you know what, I'm really going to listen to my body. I do want to say I think that if you feel perimenopausal and you are having pain and irregular periods and your periods are changing, do get them looked at. I can't stress that enough because even as a naturopath and herbalist, I still feel that it is vital to um, have these things looked at because you you want to make sure nothing else is going on inside. You know, some women could have cancer, some women could have fibroids going on, some could have other stuff going on. You know, there could be scar tissue or there could be who knows what. So definitely if there's changes in your cycle, get it looked at ASAP. Don't wait, don't hesitate. That's one thing I did say to Dave this morning. I wish I hadn't hesitated that I jumped on this and pushed this five years ago. You know, it's been really debilitating. It's There's a lot of blessings and lessons on it, but there's been a lot of debilitation and effect on, you know, with my husband, with um, who's always loving and supportive, but without my kids and, you know, our family and what we could have been doing and all that kind of stuff. So, you know... I am grateful for the journey. I'm grateful for having this hysterectomy and I look forward to really sharing my journey and really helping women to reconnect with your temple and knowing your temple. I really do feel that, you know, by when you become aware, you become knowledgeable and this knowledge allows you to tap into your own power. It allows you to make choices and decisions that are going to benefit you. And when we take this time to do this for ourselves, it has a most amazing rippling effect for all our loved ones and every aspect in our life. So really coming back to our core, back to our center, that innerness of ourselves really is vital. You know, in our 40s, we see a lot of women getting busy, 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 go, go, go. And it's actually having detrimental effects. We're seeing an increase of hysterectomies is huge. Like I know in Australia, it's about 30,000 at least a year. Um, You know, we're seeing mental health on the rise. We're seeing, you know, suicides on the rise. We're seeing dis-ease on the rise. And with all that technology, it should be going down, you know. So I'm really passionate and really excited to um, be bringing this to you. So, 
you know, why I'm passionate about this too is because I'm seeing and hearing so many other women go through this and feeling alone and it's, you know, causing a lot more anxiety, it's causing more depression and on a severe case even some women are having suicidal thoughts. Like I, you know, with my mum and my nana, I said to, I've worked really hard all my adult life to be proactive with my mental health. I've seen psychologists and counsellors and, you know, all this and gone to doctors and all this sort of stuff because I didn't want to repeat the cycle. And I even said to Dave last year, I feel like even though everything I've done about that, it, it's not working. I feel like I'm just being sucked into it. I feel like I'm going crazy and I'm, it scared the absolute bejesus out of me because I didn't want to get in that. And I kind of feeling now just from my own personal um, experience and opinion is I feel like this is a contributing factor to my mum. My nana, I was a bit young. I'm not 100% sure there, but I feel there is. And so, you know, I am passionate. I really, and after hearing so many stories of so many women suffering this, and it's something we all go through. This is the crazy part, but it's taboo. So I, I really want to make a difference and a change. It breaks up marriages. It breaks up families. It breaks up women's careers and dreams and goals. And enough's enough. It's time to bring this taboo perimenopause cycle out of the closet and into the into the light. So I really look forward to sharing more with you, you know, personal and even my educational um, experiences and you know, I'm not 100% what that, sure what that looks like. I'm still on this journey, but I'm sharing my journey and bringing some light into it. So I really hope this helps. And do please come over to our um, Facebook page, Bell and Dave, and share your experience. You know, other people may not comment on your story, but you know what? People read it. I mean, how many times do you read stuff and not comment or like or heart or anything like that? But can keep scrolling or walk away from something you've read and go oh wow that was amazing and it helps you you are that for others as well we all are and each of us our stories is important and it's time to reconnect our sisterhood and bring back that support for this beautiful change of life that we are going through so thank you so much if you've made it to the end and i yeah um i just look forward to sharing more with you lots of love Love, Belle. Bye.